come to the second place where Jesus uh, makes it very clear what the what his future looks like. You see in chapter 9, the transfiguration comes off the mountain, engages the, uh, the father with the epileptic, epileptic son, and uh, that whole exchange was just so powerful. And then verse 30, so they went on from there and passed through Galilee and uh, did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, Son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. When he's killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So once again, the disciples, as we've seen and will continue to see, they, they aren't quite keeping up with what he's trying to tell them. But uh, he sums up Passion Week, uh, Good Friday, not sure what you call it, Saturday, Easter Sunday. He sums that up in like one sentence. Verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he's killed after three days, he will rise. So when he uses the, the phrase, uh, the son of, he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered, that has some transactional tone to it. Um, so we know, he says, he'll be, he'll be delivered into the hands of men. We know who's receiving the delivery. Who is, who is giving the delivery? Um, so the scriptures do speak to this uh, a little bit. Isaiah, I'm going I'm to hop around a lot. You can just, you don't need to turn to all these. Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When you see that word, Lord, it's talking in the Old Testament, I was talking about the Father in the Trinity, you have Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, so it's the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. Who's doing the delivering? God the Father. Also in Isaiah 53, verse 6, second half of verse 6, says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That the Lord is, he is behind this delivery. In verse 5, same text, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Um, this, is all, this is all happening. Who puts the transgressions on him? Who puts the iniquities on him? Who hands him over into the hands of men? God the Father does. John 3.16 says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God the Father. Okay, it's, it's the Godhead. It's Father, Son, Spirit. But it's also God the Father loved the world so much that he gave his son. He handed him over. He delivered him into the hands of men. Acts 2.23, in the middle of this sermon, says that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. By the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Later on in Acts, it says is for twenty seven, twenty eight, for truly in this city they were gathered together against against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The your there is God the Father. So when, when Jesus looks at his disciples in Mark 9 and says, The Son of Man, which is uh, another way of saying I, 
I will be delivered into the hands of men. He's saying, the Father will deliver me into the hands of men. He will hand me over. He will give me to them. That's important to keep in mind this morning, to understand the text, to understand the subtext behind what he is telling them. Um, But that does not mean that he was unwilling to do this. He was delivered, but he was not a, uh, a passive participant in the delivery. You know, you get a pizza delivered, the pizza has no choice, right? Um, Jesus is not a pizza. Jesus is, is, is a willing participant in his delivery. And here's a few places where that comes from. Mark ten forty five. Even the Son of Man, okay, Jesus, for even I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for from, from many, to give my own life. As a ransom. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus tells us, No one takes my life from me, I give it up. Luke twenty two. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, yours be done. There's a willing submission to the Father's plan. Um, and back to Isaiah 53. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't enjoy it, but he didn't object to it. So in Mark 9, when he says, the Son of Man, he says, I will be delivered into the hands of men. That is the Father doing the delivery. It is the Son agreeing to be delivered into the hands of the political and religious leaders who will kill him. So the Father and the Son were in agreement about this. But why? Like why would... Why would that be the case? Why do we have this in front of us? Why do, we, why do we have these songs to sing? These prayers to pray? This gospel to read? Back to John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Does any parent in here want their child to perish? Probably not. Does any non-parent ever look at a kid and say, I really wish that kid would just perish? No, not even, not even our teachers with that most difficult child, right? You, there's a perishing that happens, like a, uh, a, a like big picture, eternal perishing that happens because we are separated from God. And so the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in uh they're like in on this plan together so that their image bearers, their children, would not perish, but instead would have life forever. That's why. If you've been a Christian for a long time or a little while, um, that, that's just, it's just a stunning reality, you know. It would be a tragedy if John 3.16 ever just became something that uh, Rainbow Head used to write on a, on a sign. Remember Rainbow Head? No? Okay. Just me. It would be a tragedy if that's just like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the VBS verse. That's the kids verse. 
That's your verse. That's my verse. That he didn't want you to perish. He didn't want me to perish. He wanted us to live forever. And that meant giving of his son. What's the result? Well, if you look at Mark 9, like where we're studying, it says in verse 31, Son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. So a part of the result of that delivery is his death, but it's also his resurrection. And it's not just a sacrificial death. It's also being raised to walk in new life. And our buddy Isaiah, he doesn't just cover the really like dark, grim stuff. He also covers the awesome stuff. Here's verse 12. It says, Therefore I will divide him, a, him, being Jesus, a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So Jesus goes and accomplishes this, this victory. And he has all the spoils of victory. So he goes and redeems broken creation and he has this new creation that is his forever. He goes and redeems uh, his sons and his daughters and they are his forever. And it's, they, those are the spoils of his victory. Like you're, you are the trophy case of heaven. And he looks and instead of it being something he just looks at it for him to like own, uh, he says, hey, how about we divide this up and share it? How about you and you and you and you and you? All of us share forever the spoils of what he accomplished on the cross for us. How about instead of perishing, you have eternal life forever, free from sin, free from brokenness, forever and ever and ever and ever without end. In his resurrection, he, he shares with us the spoils of what he has won. Which is why John 3.16 says that we have eternal life. He also says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We not only get to share in the spoils of victory, but we, we get to share in uh, what the Bible would, would use the word Shalom. You know, peace for us is like, oh, it's, there's no, there's, there's no, there was no fighting today in the Middle East, so it was a peaceful day. Oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't have, you know, there was a lack of violence, or everybody, everyone kind of got along today, so it was peace. That's not that kind of peace. This is a, a oneness and a unity with God that in the spoils of that victory, He has provided. A way for you and God to be at peace with one another, for there to be a oneness with Him. Not just a oneness, not, not only oneness uh, like into eternity that will never ever create dissonance, but you and I can have peace today. We don't have to wait for heaven for all this stuff to get there. We have peace now, and we have peace forever. There's not an undoing of the peace that He has given us. Not only that, and it says that his chastisement brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we have been healed. And so we sit here in healing. You might not feel healed. There are seasons where I think we all kind of walk through where you feel more healed than others, you know. 
I'm not saying that you're free from difficulty and free from refinement and, and all those kinds of things, but, but there, there is a healing that is happening between you and yourself and you and other people and you and the Lord and you and creation. There is a healing that is going on. There's a reconciliation that has happened and a restoration that we are a part of. And all that is that shalom, that peace working its way through our lives. And it begins when you say yes to Jesus and it, it is on this like slow, steady progression for the rest of your life. Some seasons may seem faster than others. Sometimes you might feel like you've regressed, but it has this overall forward trajectory that the, uh, the life of Jesus that he has shared in his spoils with you has brought you healing and brought you peace. It also says one more thing from Isaiah. Verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. We are the many that are accounted righteous. If you are in Christ, you are counted among the many that he looks at and sees the righteousness of his son draped over you like a robe and says, Come on. Come just as you are. You won't stay as you are, but come on. So he was delivered willingly, killed, raised to life again, putting to death forever death and sin. And as he's accumulating all the spoils of victory, he says, I'm going to share these because I'm generous and I love you. And I want you to be healed forever and at peace forever and to be accounted righteous forever. And so what does this produce in us? What does it produce in you to, to just kind of have the gospel put right in front of you? You know, this might not make any sense. But uh, I was thinking about how, like, sometimes the gospel kind of can can produce a little bit of of arrogance and pride, you know. Um, that that sometimes, like, like, like the we can make the gospel about us somehow, you know. Like, um, if as if John three sixteen is kind of about us instead of about him. For God so loved the world, you know, that it's about. Um, it's about uh, him loving us instead of about the way that he's loved us. That we can very easily become uh, become uh, cats. You know, like cats, they think they're the center of the universe, don't they? Like you, you feed a cat, and that cat has kind of become convinced that you work for that cat. They kind of, they're the center of the universe. They're just very, very arrogant. You feed a dog, and that dog knows, like, I need you forever. Which is why dogs are superior. <laughs> it's, it's true. And sometimes, you know, like, like, like it's, especially like in our day with, with, um, Music and podcasts and, and teaching and books and there's just so many things that are out there and and how I mean how many times have we heard a completely self-absorbed gospel you know and yet 
is, is, isn't the Lord's Supper supposed to remind us of who He is and what He has done and that we, like, we get to share in the spoils of victory simply because He loves us and because He is kind. Like the gospel should not make us cats. It should absolutely make us dogs. You know? Like this should produce humility and gratitude in us. And I think that's part of why he gave us the meal. It's because he knew we would need a reminder. We would forget about Passover. We'd forget about the Lord's Supper. We'd forget about the future meal that, meals that he has secured. We'd, we'd forget that we're all, like, we're all saved by the same body and blood. We'd forget that heaven and earth are really close. We'd forget all of these things. And he's like, so I'm going to give you a meal. I'm going to repurpose Passover. And I'm going to, to give it to you to practice together. Until I return. And then it's going to change again. And it's going to be even better. But for right now, it's pretty great. And so, in taking communion, we're basically, we're all saying yes to the same Savior who has said yes to us. He says yes to us. We say yes to Him. We approach the same table. We're seeing the same grace. We're seeing the same grace. uh, Pushes us into the same mission for the same glory of the one God. He's... He's just given us this incredible thing. And so because it is so important, Paul, uh, is, he offers some words of correction to the church in Corinth. Because they, they, that church, was, it was messed up. Like, bad. And so he's writing to them and he's trying to correct some things because they took that whole love feast idea and they were completely mishandling everything, uh, everything about it. And as he's correcting them, there's some there's like this kind of big idea that I think applies to us, where he says, "You don't need to approach this table haphazardly. You don't need to just kind of just go through the motions with this, because you are disrespecting the one who said yes to being delivered into the hands of men to be killed. You're disrespecting the one who shares the spoils of victory and gives you healing and gives you shalom." And accounts you among the righteous. So, so you need to examine examine your heart and your mind before you step to the table. And so we're going to take some time this morning to do that. Um, and that can look it looks for you how it looks for you. You know, um, we're going to carve out some time for that. So it could mean confessing some things. It could mean repentance. It could mean maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Maybe it's a reconnection to, I mean, if he's the vine and you're the branch and you've been kind of disconnected for a while, maybe it's a, an intentional like reconnection connecting to him. There are, oftentimes there are some horizontal steps, some like interpersonal things, and there's some vertical things. We just want to give you a little time to like process your way through that. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to sing some songs, but you don't have to sing them. Uh, we're not going to stand you up, but you can stand up. Uh, you can come here and pray on these steps if you want to. Um, you can do whatever you want in the next couple of minutes. That is, that is to get you ready to receive it. And so we have scheduled two songs to go through. You never know what's going to happen. And then, um, then I'm going to give you an instruction to come and get uh, the elements. And so it's all here at the table. You come, you take a, take a cup, take a piece of bread, um, and you take it back to your seat. 
Now, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion with us. You need to be a member of the church, the capital C church. You need to have said yes to Jesus. And maybe that happens for you today. I mean, maybe in hearing this, you're like, I want all that. Um, If you have said yes to his yes, then come on. And if that's the first time for you today, you don't need to leave here without talking to somebody about it. Um, But we're not going to, we're all going to come and get it. And then we're going to take it back to our seats and we're going to wait for each other. And we're going to take it together. So we'll have a song or two to give you kind of time to just examine your heart, your mind. You get ready. And when I say come forward, you'll come forward. You'll get the stuff. You'll take it back. The stuff. Give it a second. Um, you'll, you'll get the bread and the juice. You'll take it back to your seat and you'll wait. And then we'll all take it together. And then you know we're going to sing a little bit after that, right? Um, so uh, in these next couple of minutes, you just spend time with the Lord and whatever that needs to look like. So I'm going to pray. Pray us into this time of contemplation, and um, we'll sing a little bit, and when we're ready, you'll come get it. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, I am grateful that you, that you took all of our brokenness upon yourself, and you took it to the grave with you, like it died with you. And when, when you were raised back to new life, uh, that stuff didn't come with you. That all of our sin, all of our self-centeredness, all of our rebellion, all of our brokenness, it died when you died. And when you walked out of the grave, we walked out of the grave with you. And we're still figuring out how to do that, and you're so patient and good with us. And I think that's a part of what this meal is for, is for us to be reminded. Um, reminded that that is our reality. That although the, the, the kingdom has not come in full consummation yet, that you, you've already brought it to us. You've made it real to us. We don't have to wait for heaven to walk in healing. Shalom to be accounted righteous. We thank you that we share in the spoils of victory now. And so as a room, as we spend the next few moments just examining our hearts and minds and doing whatever we need to do in our interpersonal relationships and in our relationship with you, I pray you just lead us. If we need to come and pray, give us courage to get out the aisle and walk down here and pray. If we need to Step outside and call someone and apologize for something. Let's let's do it. May this be a time where we get ready uh, to engage in this meal as you had in mind. And I pray that this just carving out this time will get us there. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. So you spend the next few minutes getting ready. If you want to sing, stand, whatever, you can do that. But this is your time with the Lord.